This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I'm Tyler Metcalf, joined as always by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how's it going? I'm doing good, Metcalf. Um, took a week off. You yeah. know, that's not like us, but um, it was nice. Um, I'm going to let everybody know, don't get used to that stuff. I felt, it felt weird, um, but we had, some, we had some family stuff going on. We, you know, we, we're taking our time to regroup and... I'm getting the itch to get back into it. So um, I'm doing good, Metcalf. How about yourself? How's everything holding up? New place, right? Everyone yeah. wants to know. New place. How's it How's it doing? Uh, love, loving the new house. Um, officially a homeowner, which is just weird. You know, they they took a bit of took away a bit of my soul when I handed over the check. But, you know, we're, we're, we're here. We're thriving. Um, so ju- just being caught up in all of that, the move, uh, going to visit some family last week, we figured we're going to take the week off. We're not going to force something that... We're going to half-ass because we don't like doing that. So, let you know what? It's the off-season. We're going to take an extra week, circle back, and figure it out from there. And I, I think we got a really fun one today. Yeah, I do, too. I, I feel good about it. Um, things are starting to turn around. And, you know, for no ceilings, they were always great. But things are tar- starting to turn around in life. Um, I got preseason Minnesota Vikings football coming on after this podcast. I haven't even brought it up yet. I've been, you know dancing around the room all day so things are things are good i'm happy that you got your house you got yeah, settled. You, so are you really excited for the vikings to finish third in the nfc north then this year that's not gonna happen <laughs> i need everybody to oh, get you, realistic you, you think they're gonna be fourth no no i don't um i need everyone to calm down <laughs> especially lions fans <laughs> like mr Metcalf are getting a little cocky so it's gonna be a fun year um but i'm doing good um i'm just i'm ready to rock I'm ready for for the 24 class. I'm ready for no ceilings year three. Gosh, I've been working on some fun ideas behind the scenes. I'm you know pissed off, ready for for round three. So, um, tell the folks what's going on with this episode. We we got some good stuff. Yes, yeah, so I last summer we did some retrospective stuff with you know some redrafts and kind of going back through some of our old scouting reports on guys and how that changed or what hit what missed all that good stuff and we kind of wanted to continue a similar trend this year but a little different and specifically look at some player archetypes of guys who got drafted in you know past drafts and whether they hit or not looking at their college numbers what type of player they were in college what type of player they ended up being in the pros whether they worked out whether they didn't and you know what are the reasons for that and then try and carry over some of those lessons 
to the 2024 class and look at some of the guys who may uh, fall into that similar archetype and things that should be causes for concern or things to get excited about and just kind of break down their game. So today we're going to look at combo guards, which is a really funky position and one I'm always a sucker for. Um, I, I love a good combo guard and always or tend to uh, frequently get in trouble with my rankings. Uh, but when, when we look back at these past drafts, we're only going back to 2016. That's kind of like right around when I first started uh, really, really diving into like the scouting reports and breaking guys down um, and, you know, looking at the NBA draft in a serious and like really analytical um, perspective. And also as we move forward into today, we're not really, we're going to touch on some guys from the last three years, but at, anyone drafted in 2020 or two, two more recent, uh, we're not really going to dive in on and make a definitive statement on because, um, well, for me, I prefer at least three years of experience to really kind of make that call on a guy. Really proud of you for that last statement. It's just too early to get to have a verdict on these guys. I know some people would disagree, but there's a lot of guys that haven't, you know, especially with the guard position, yeah, I feel like it's way too early. There's just guards click at different times. I've written about this before. I had no ceilings. Like you go back and look at some of the greatest guards that have ever played the game. And I, I specifically wrote about point guards, but you go look at some of those guys, like every single one of them hit their strides at different times. Going back to Gary Payton, Steve Nash, Steph Curry, like dealt with those injuries early portion of his career. A lot of people forget about. And then finally just, whoa, okay. He became a psycho, but um, every single one of them, like it, it, it's an NBA history. I'm not making mm -hmm. it up. You can go find it, go look it up. Google.com. Check it out. So I, I'm excited for this one. I think the, the idea of this, when you presented it to me, like gave me a little bit of a headache at first, because I feel like there's always like combo guards, point yeah. guards, like you could make up so many, like you can present, 10 different ones. Like we, we said that on the internet. We were like, let us know any other episodes or types you want us to talk about uh, for all the listeners. And there's already people responding with different types that I was even expecting. And I was like, okay, so I'm excited. There's a lot of different ways we could go with this. It's fun to look back at the draft history. Um, I think this is going to be a fun series. I feel like you were in your bag when you sent me this text and I just kept saying like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I was like, okay, get, let me get on the same page as you Metcalf. And finally I was like, okay, okay, okay. I got you. And then um, it's always really fun to go back and look at some of the draft history and some of the players and just be like, my goodness. And I will say one disclaimer before I shut up. Um, please don't get mad at us if we're like, Oh, he's a combo guard. And then you're like, no, he's a point guard. Like, no. So, so that, that, that's a, that's a perfect transition because I, <laughs> I, I think the label of combo guard can be really subjective um, in terms of, you know, some people may view some of these guys as a little more of pure point guards um, either in college or um, in the pros. And, you know, some of these guys have kind of transitioned from combo guard to one of the others. And some of, kind of transition from point guard or shooting guard into a combo guard. So when you think of, or when you, you hear the term combo guard or think of the position or archetype of combo guards, what characteristics come to mind? I, I get pretty vanilla 
if that even is a phrase that I can use. I'm very vanilla when it talks uh, about like when we're putting them in categories like decks because um, I'm one of those evaluators. I want things simple first. I want to I want to make it really you know black and white. And then I want to get creative and get into analytics and get into the deep thinking and stuff. So when I'm saying combo guard, I'm like, he could play the one or two. I need him to go play either position. He can hold his own. Um, and it, this is, this is, I, I love that you started this because this series is going to get my brain in a, in a pretzel. We're going to get, we're going to get weird with this one. I don't know, Metcalf. It's, it's, if you're a combo guard, I'm almost like, okay, do you want him to play more of a two? Or are you trusting him, this player, we're saying, like player A, player X, whatever. Are you saying like, ah, he's okay at both? Or he's good enough at the two that I trust him also to be a playmaker from the one, like put the ball in his hands, run the offense through him. Like where do you kind of lean towards that? Because I think that's where when I'm saying a combo guard, I'm comfortable with this player doing anything in the backcourt where it's like, he can run the offense. I can play him off the ball, maybe both areas. He has so much versatility that it can kind of sprinkle in and mix together. If that makes sense. Yeah. And the, the term for me always just screams versatility and malleability in terms of lineup and how they can be used um, where Yes, they can play off ball. Yes, they can be that off ball shooter, but then they also have some on ball juice to them where they can run a pick and roll, where they can initiate the offense. Um, I think a lot of it too is, you know, it's like, okay, well, he's kind of a shooting guard, but he's too small to be a shooting guard in the NBA. But in college and high school right now, he doesn't really have the playmaking traps to actually be the point guard. So he's kind of a shooting guard, but he's going to have to mold his game into more of a point guard. And it for a lot of guys, it's being kind of stuck in limbo. And they're guys who can do a little bit of everything and not really a specialist in one area or the other, but kind of have their fingers in a bunch of different pots and are figuring out how to impact the game in a bunch of different ways in the backcourt. Yeah. I like how you put that. And I do think you brought it up earlier and I wanted to make sure to, to highlight it again, but roles change. Yeah. Like the NBA, a lot of these guards that are trying to figure out a way to survive early on. Like, even if you're a top pick, you're like, how can I have some immediate success in any area of the game? So that might, require you to give up the ball sometimes and play off the ball as your catch and shoot guy. It might require you to focus on your abilities as a pick and roll creator, uh, running the offense to create for your teammates. Not always you're jumping into the NBA. Not always, not often ever. Are you jumping in as a point guard in the NBA and just being like, I can do everything. It takes time to figure out the secrets. If you want to put it that way of each area to have success in the NBA because the speed's faster. The game's quicker. There's a deeper playbook. You're having to make advanced reads. Things are fast. Things are rapid speeds. And you're also playing against veterans that are smarter than you right away mm -hmm. because they've been in the league. They know how things work. So I think when you're that combo guard, it, it sometimes it's almost a blessing now for what, the way the NBA has gone for these young point guards to come in and be like, okay, sometimes I can have someone, alongside me that can 
make life a little easier for me and, and take some of the load off. Back then it was kind of like, Hey, you're drafted to be the floor general. Here you go. Run the offense, figure it out. Like get everyone in place. Now I almost feel like it's kind of like a, a lifeline. If, if that makes sense, but am I crazy or what? I, I just, I don't know. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I that re- really lines up with just kind of how I view this position. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's dive into con- the, the past drafts and we're going to start with 2016 and in this draft, there were three names that stood out to me. Also, the names that we're really going to be discussing, um, we're just looking at the first round guys. We're not going to dive into the second round or undrafted sleepers or anything like that. So in 2016, there were three names that really stood out to me. Um, Chris Dunn, who was more of a traditional point guard in college, but has kind of morphed into that combo guard, shooting guard role in the NBA, uh, who went fifth overall to Minnesota, uh, Jamal Murray, who went seventh overall to Denver, and then DeJounte Murray, who went 29th overall to San Antonio. Um, Let's start out with Chris Dunn, who spent four years uh, in college playing at Providence. Um, With that, um, you know, his role in college was really more of that primary point guard that primary initiator and some of the numbers that i'm going to kind of run through with all these guys are ones that i think really highlight what these guys roles were in college and how they kind of transitioned to the pros and why things may have worked or may have not worked so with with chris dunn in college he had a usage rate of 24.6 uh shot 35 and a half percent from three on only 2.2 attempts in his across his four years, 1.76 assist to turnover ratio, 40.3 assist rate, uh, 4.1 steal rate, 53.1 true shooting percentage. Going back to your evaluation of Chris Dunn in at coming out of Providence, where were you? Where were you with him? Um, well, that was the draft. The funny thing is, like, I, this is when I was starting to really like take scouting serious mm-hmm. and these were also the years this as a celtics fan they weren't good so i was even more excited to like they were still rebuilding so i was even more excited about the draft because i was like not only am i pumped about the draft and prospects in general but the celtics are picking high like they picked third that year so they had jalen brown they picked next year they picked third again so like i was getting obsessed with the draft at this point like i was like okay i'm really obsessed and i love jalen brown like i swear Everyone could be like, you're crazy. Jalen Brown's college film was bad. And I was like, yes, it was. I agree. I just thought potential. But focusing on Dunn, there was rumors he was the Celtics loved him. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, gosh, now I have to really evaluate Chris Dunn. And when it tying it all together, the idea of drafting a point guard, and at that time he was running the show in college, like you're saying, of drafting that combo guard, in your backcourt to that has to unlock the outside shot to get success that really struggles to shoot it terrifying for me it's like one of my biggest fears um if you do that you have to be surrounded with shooters so if you're drafting him to a team that does not have that i always get terrified um so like I love Dunn as a prospect when it was like, oh, he's nasty defensively. He might be able to set the tone. Like, he's going to play his butt off. But I was like, offensively, what am I getting from him if the shot never comes around? And we always said this before, Metcalf. Like, if you don't have that shot, you have to be excellent in other areas to, to kind of balance the seesaw. 
Um, Rajon Rondo was a guy that didn't have a great shot coming out of college, but he was an unbelievable ball handler and playmaker and had great vision and played great defense. And I was like, you're checking a lot of boxes to level out that seesaw, like I'm saying. So I just had questions with Dunn where I was like, what does he bring in? Like, obviously he was a good defender, but what else did you have? I mean, what, where did you think? Where, where were you at with Chris Dunn? Province, um, I, I never really saw the top five, top 10 stuff with him. Um, because like you said, I mean, he's an older point guard, which a lot of the times with point guards is can be a really intriguing thing because they're a little more ready to go uh, a little more seasoned. But when you look at Chris Dunn, I mean, the, the things that he had to improve on were the big one was the outside shot and being or having a mediocre percentage of 35% over four years on very low volume at 2.2 attempts. Those are, aren't great indicators of someone who's either confident in their shot, willing to take shots, taking a tough variety of shots. And it's like, there are a lot of signs here that that's really not going to develop into what it's going to need to be. Then you look at the playmate. Then you, like you mentioned with Rondo, it's like, okay, well, is he going to be an elite playmaker? It's like 1.76 assist to turnover ratio. It's good. It's positive, but that's not like earth shattering. And for a four year, for a four year guy, that should be a lot higher. Then you look at the high usage rate of just under 25, the assist rate of over 40%. It's like, okay, the offense is running through this guy constantly he is the guy he is the end-all be-all for this offense and is he really going to be that in the pros and if he's not then what is he gonna be and it kind of turned out that since that shot didn't develop the playmaking didn't really take a leap he's carved out a decent role as you know end of the bench defense first guy but there are a lot of signs here that he wasn't going to turn into what a top five pick should warrant because when we look at his NBA career, 18.8 usage rate, massive drop off from what he was in college because he couldn't be that guy as that primary playmaker assist rate dropped to 27% assist to turnover ratio got better, but the usage and the volume, all of that was down. So it's like, okay, does that really matter? The shooting got worse percentage wise and volume wise, the steal rate was still high at three um, or 3%, but then the true shooting fell below 50% as well. So it's like, he's one of these guys where you look at it and you, that transition from being the guy and the end all be all to a versatile piece. That's a really hard move. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And it's always fun, um, to look back at the draft because obviously like I'll, I'll do this for future episodes, but like when you look back at the drafts, like it's easily to, to look at it and be like, Oh, like I can't believe this team drafted him. But like, if you really want to go back into it, you need to like look at the roster that it was heading into that draft. And like, what did they need? But like, so Chris Dunn goes um, sixth, sorry, uh, fifth, uh, fifth, fifth. So my numbers are off. Um, shout out Google sheets. Um, so he goes fifth to Minnesota. Um, the next guard we're going to talk about doesn't go until seventh. And then there's a run and we don't get a guard in for about five, six picks. I mean, till the end of the lottery, there wasn't another guard taken. So like, it just points out, like if you needed a guard that year, it's probably tough pickings. And um, it's just always interesting. I, I, the, the the combo guard potential that can't shoot. And I'm not trying to slander Chris Dunn here, but I'm just trying to say like, that's the scary thing to take in the top five. Mm -hmm. 
Jalen it, Brown was a wing that everyone was like, he has all the tools. It's just, do you believe the shot could come around on a more consistent level? And I was like, you have all the tools. I was never like, hey, if the Chris Dunn doesn't figure out the shot, he's still going to be a starter for years. I was still like, eh, I don't know, because I think you're just buying into the idea. And we always say that the idea of someone drafting them too high because of the idea of what this player could be is always scary. Yeah. And, and now for guards, you have to be able to do something at a high level on offense. Yes. And if you can't shoot, you have to be an awesome playmaker. And if you can't play make, you better be an awesome shooter. Um, ideally you're both. And we'll get to a guy who's kind of morphed into that. But with Chris Dunn, it wasn't either of those. He was a bad shooter and he was just an okay playmaker it's just volume there's opportunity and he never really developed either of those he's been able to kind of float around and stay in the league as long as he has and carved out you know a, a really solid career as that end of the bench role player because he's still that awesome defender 10 years if he would have been came into the league 10 years earlier he probably has a much different career than what he has now because the the way the nba is trended you can't be it doesn't matter how awesome you are at defense as a guard you have to be able to play on offense um let, let's move into jamal murray who went seventh overall to denver just the one year at kentucky i think he's one of these kind of combo guards who was a, probably leaning a little more towards shooting guard in college transitioned a little more into that pure point guard with denver um obviously playing with Jokic has its benefits but in college, Murray had a usage of 27.3, uh, shot 40.8% on 7.7 attempts from three, uh, had a negative assist to turnover ratio, assist rate of only 12.1, steal rate of 1.6, true shooting percentage of 59. There weren't really any indicators that Jamal Murray was going to turn into the primary creator, I guess, if maybe secondary creator, let's call him, um, but the point guard that he has turned into. The funniest thing about him is like guys like this, when you go back and look at their college stats, you're like, well, what were we thinking? You know, just like, what were teams thinking? Like he's six, five, he averaged 20, 20 points a game, five rebounds, 2.2 assists. Um, shooting splits of 45, 40, 78. Yeah. At six, five. Um, I, I loved him this year coming out of Kentucky. I th I'm pretty sure I had him four. So that's what I'm trying to say. I think this is the year in which when I was evaluating, I think the league was still trying to kind of transition to like, we were still like, you're either a point guard or you're a shooting guard. You know what I'm trying to say? And I'm sorry if I'm year wrong, a year off. What I'm trying to get at, at my point is, I think when I was evaluating, I was like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. Just draft them. He's clearly, I'm sorry. I hate to be the Chris Dunn hour. I was like, <laughs> Just draft him over Chris Dunn. Yeah. If he doesn't, if he doesn't work at point guard, you still have an awesome two that you can let him do some stuff and then you'll figure out your point guard down the road. But I was like, Jamal Murray just he has great size. He had great shooting splits for a freshman. He's a freshman. Um, he proved it. Averaging 20 in college is no joke. Yeah. Especially at Kentucky. So I was like, who gives a shit? Just draft them. <laughs> so like, that's where I kind of got to this point of like the, I'm a big believer in scouting of, can he play at the next level? Screw the position. Can yeah. this guy play 
on an NBA court. Like that's my first thing whenever I'm watching a guy, like, can this guy play on an NBA court? And then I will say, okay, now what role is he? Like, what's his NBA role? And when I watched Jamal Murray, I was like, yeah, he's playing. He's going to be a, a problem. Figure it out later. Like, what is his role with our team? And I just, was there really a world in which a team, no offense, Metcalf was like, Chris Dunn fits better with our team than, than Jamal Murray. And maybe they had that conversation because they were like, Jamal can't be a point guard, which is you have to take into consideration. But I remember I loved them too. It's like Duke can shoot and he averaged 20 a game and he was efficient. What's not to like. And I just do think that was the time of the league where you're either a one or a two. And if you weren't buying someone being a one and you needed a one, then you passed on guys. Maybe that was what Minnesota thought. And I don't know. Where, where are you at? And, and we mean, there's no, Buddy Heald went right before him too. So <laughs> New Orleans could have had him. You know, I always forget New Orleans took Buddy Heald. Yeah. Like, I don't know why. That's always <laughs> just like not in my brain. Like one day I looked it up and I was like, that's not true. Did they trade him? And then I was like, oh, wait, no, they, they did take him. So um, what did you think though? Like, where, where are you at with this? My head's spinning now. I know what you're doing and I like it because now I'm really turning the gears now of like, Oh, this is fun. Um, so I, I think what we saw with Murray's development into that kind of point guard role is kind of something we saw similar from the Kentucky shooting guard who went the year before in Devin Booker, where when Devin Booker got drafted, I mean, he was basically thrown into the fire at that point guard position. And they were like, figure it out. Like you're going to, we're going to try and make you a point guard. And it's like, mm. No, like you're you're a shooting guard. You're better as a shooting guard. But those early career reps at as that point guard position have obviously been super beneficial for Booker moving forward and developing as a passer. And now they have a really kind of dynamic playmaker at that two spot. And I think that same thing has really happened with Murray because you you look at his assist percentage, it went up eight percent compared to what it was in college. Uh, the assist to turnover ratio more than doubled. It's now at career assist to turnover ratio of 2.1 in the NBA. Obviously having that two man game with Jokic will have that effect on a lot of guys, but there were signs of Murray kind of turning into this type of player before just this season. So the fact that Murray was able to kind of get thrown into the fire and take those playmaking reps and, take those point guard reps and really morph and grow his playmaking game into being more of that traditional point guard, I, I think is really, really impressive and a real testament to him as a player. Again, yes, I know having Jokic and his playmaking ability and his ability to kind of be that pseudo point guard does wonders and makes that fit for Jamal Murray and his kind of combo guardness um, a little easier, but it can't go how understated how Jamal Murray or how important it was that Jamal Murray developed his playmaking the way he did continued to be an awesome and versatile shooter and scorer, and then continued to just be okay as a defender. He's not a great defender, but he's able to hold his own on out there where he's not a complete negative that makes him unplayable. It's also important. Like we were talking about earlier that we're not going to talk about guys that until we give them three years. Like I, I'm still a big believer of that. Like we're going to start talking about guys in the NBA. Like there's a spoiler. That's going to be an update. We're going to start talking about the development of NBA guys for no ceilings this year. Like the younger guys. But when it comes to just like, Oh, we're out on him. 
before three years. That's ridiculous. Like Jamal Murray averaged under 10 points per game as a rookie. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until his second year averaged 16.7, third year, 18.2. Um, like it, it just takes time for these guys. And I'm excited. I mean, you got a lot of good names on here that I'm excited to talk about. Like, I, I, I see where you're going with this and I like it. And it's just one of those things where you have to wait patiently for these guys to get the run. Like Devin Booker, I worked for the Suns when they were the year they were like, we're going to put the ball in Devin Booker's hands and make him figure it out because that's what teams were doing when they were planning to play against the Suns and they weren't good. It was like, oh, Booker can't handle it on his own. We're just going to... Tr- force pressure on him and trap him. Mm -hmm. And then finally the sons were like, we're going to make you figure it out. And he did that. And now he's the superstar. And I'm not saying it's just because of that, but it's like, it took time. It was was a big reason because it was a big reason. Yeah. That's how 98% of these guys get better is through repetitions and through live ball reps. It's hard. It's difficult. There's going to be a lot of hurdles that they have to overcome, but the ones that turn into these all NBA caliber players are the ones that overcome those hurdles and get better through it. So um, let's move on to the last guy in 2016, DeJounte Murray, who I think was probably considered more of just a natural point guard up until this year. But then this year with the Hawks, he obviously had to mold his game a little bit more, play a little more off ball. Uh, But in college at Washington, just one year usage rate of uh, just under 26, bad shooter in college, whereas 29% from three, but on 3.5 attempts. So he's at least willing to shoot a little bit. 1.38 assist to turnover ratio, 25.6 assist rate, 2.8 steal rate, 48.5 true shooting percentage. None of those numbers necessarily suggest a guy who can run an NBA offense, who can be an NBA scorer, who can really be an NBA starter. Um, But I think something that's, I I think his development and, you know, classic Spurs late first round pick it's been really, really impressive to see how he's kind of grown his game from just being that athletic, lanky, defensive first point guard in college to a really versatile scorer who can create for others and run an offense. I mean, it, the funny thing is, like, we're talking about DeJounte Murray. Um, and if you look at those numbers you had, li- you just listed, like, compared to Chris Dunn, Chris Dunn was way better. <laughs> yeah. But it was just something when I watched Murray at college at UW, I was like, I'm convinced this is going to work out. I felt better about everything. Um, and when he went to the Spurs, I was like, Oh gosh, perfect place for him to go. And like, you look at his progress throughout the year, like rookie year played 38 games, only started eight. He played 8.5 minutes, 3.4 points a game. Second year, 8.1 points per game. Started 48 games. Third year, he tore his ACL, which sucks. And then his fourth year comes back. He averaged 10, 5, and 4. And then next year, just huge leap. Averages 15 a a game. Following year, massive leap. Makes the all-star team. Averages 21 a game. They were patient. And the biggest thing where I'm always joking, like, it takes time. It's like, yeah, because if you need to work on one part of your game, like, say you really need to work on your ball handling it's really hard to all of a sudden get better as a ball handler when you're just like playing the next game and and another day you're traveling and playing. That's why we see these big leaps in the off season because Mm -hmm. guys are like, I have now time to go to the gym and work on my ball handling for eight hours and shots. Like 
throughout a week also like it's repetitions and it's time and it's focusing on little areas. So that's why I think it's so important that we have to give these guys a full off season. We have to give them a couple of years. And I love, I love DeJounte. I think it's really cool to see how his, like you said, I, I thought he was going to be a natural point guard and it's almost like he adapted mm-hmm. to the way that the NBA was transitioning. If that makes sense. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Chris Dunn in comparison to him a little bit ago, and kind of similar to Chris Dunn, DeJounte carried over that defensive mindset from college to the pros and has still been that impressive, you know, professional point guard or guard defender where he ha- still has, you know, a 2.5 career steal rate in the NBA, but he's also improved on the margins too, where I mean, he's a career 33.5% three-point shooter on 2.7 attempts a game. Neither of those numbers are eye-opening, but over the last three years, his attempts from three have risen from three to 4.3 to 5.2. So he's gaining confidence and that willingness to shoot opens up lanes for him to drive and attack and then create for others. But besides, you know, the defense kind of maintaining or, you know, improving at the rate that it needs to, besides the outside shot incrementally improving, his playmaking and ball security improved drastically where his assist to turnover ratio for his NBA career is 2.63. That's essentially double what it was in college. And the true shooting percentage of 52.2 is almost five points higher than what it was in college. So the the fact that he's able to kind of morph that game and improve the ball security, improve his ball handling, improve his passing accuracy really has done wonders for him and making him able to impact an offense and not just be that defensive guy that, you know, again, sorry to Chris Dunn, but that Chris Dunn was resorted to being. I'm so sorry to the Chris Dunn hour. And they're going to be a couple of those. We're, 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 we're trying to look at guys who worked and those who didn't. So You're right, right, right. Okay. Well, let's get on to a new class. Yeah. Because let's I feel let's like move we on to 2017. We're yeah. going to be here for 12 hours. No, we um, can do this faster. We just had to <laughs> set the tone. Like I, I'm with you. I got it. Um, all right, 2017. Unfortunately, this is going to be the year of injuries. Um, we have Marco Fultz, Lonzo Ball, uh, and then Donovan Mitchell were the three three big ones. Um, Marco Markel obviously went first. Lonzo went second. Donovan went 13th. Um, college for Markel Fultz, one year at Washington, usage rate of 31.4, 41.3% on five attempts from three, 1.84 assist to turnover ratio, 35.5 assist rate, 2.5 steal rate, 55.8 true shooting percentage. He was a problem. I think he would have been an incredible, incredible, might be strong, a really, really, really good NBA player. But that shoulder injury, uh, the tweaking of his shot mechanics really messed him up. And he still found a way to turn into a really solid point guard for the Magic. Needs to be a 30 for 30 on it. Um, if you haven't ever watched his college film, like just go watch his game stuff. Don't even just watch highlights. Like, go watch him in a game. He was a problem. Like He was, he was the number one pick. I loved Tatum mm-hmm. as a prospect. Um, I think I had him at two. I would have taken Fultz a hundred times. Like, obviously, if I'm behind, if I'm in the war room, if I'm in a front office and Fultz has a terrible workout and Tatum just blew the doors off and yeah. was unbelievable, I'd probably be like, we could drop back and get another first. Yeah, I'll probably do that. Like, if I just, you know, I get it. 
but Fultz at college was unbelievable. He averaged 23 a game with 5.7 rebounds, 5.9 assists, 1.6 steals, 1.2 blocks, shooting splits of 47, 41, 64. He could shoot from outside. Um, like he was just a versatile weapon mm-hmm. in college. I absolutely loved He's some of my favorite film because he was just shifty with power and explosiveness and bounce and could stop on a dime and throw floaters could hit you with step backs. He just was awesome. I thought he was going to be the next superstar floor general. Um, yeah. But I, th- then we look at his NBA career and he improved in a lot of areas where I assist to turnover ratio jumped to 2.5. That's really solid for a player like him. Uh, assist rate is still over 30. The steal rate is still 2.3. The true shooting percentage jumped to 52. Um, and all of that is while he shot, he shot 28% on barely one and a half attempts per game. It was the shot. It was the injury and the shot with him. Um, you can't convince me otherwise. I mean, he averaged 14, four and five with one and a half steals last year. He, he was really good last games year. and 29 minutes. Yeah. Any other player has that. That is a freak of nature injury. I don't know if we'll ever see something like that again. Um, Maybe we will, but I'm just saying when it comes to like, oh gosh, he can't shoot. You know, it, it was, it's sort, uh, it's sort of been like the same vibes of the Ben Simmons stuff mm-hmm. of like, what's going on? And it's just, I, I paused because I was like, sorry, Sixers fans, I'm really <laughs> hammering that. But I was just like, it was the worst thing ever because I thought he was going to be one of the next faces of like the NBA. And he was so exciting to watch. And now it's like he's turning into this player that's like Fultz is still really damn good. Um, and it's so awesome, like how his path, like it sucks, but it's awesome how he's grinded yeah. back. He's now like he's going to play. Mm-hmm. If he ever leaves Orlando, I think someone's going to get him and it's going to be a robbery because he's going to play a great role for them. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's it's wild to talk about. Like I've been fascinated with like down the road hearing every little tidbit about that situation that's going on. But I remember I I went and saw them play the Suns this year and I was like, gosh, he can still do some stuff on the court. Mm-hmm. Like he's still like and like his first three-point attempt, I almost fell out of my chair, but like he he hit one later. He was making plays. He was impact in the game i think he had a dunk and transition i was like fultz would still play it's just freakish yeah and now another kind of freakish injury thing with the guy who went second lonzo ball um who had one of the most electrifying college careers um in the last decade at ucla uh surprisingly low usage rate of just 18.1 um but over 41 percent on five and a half attempts from three, 3.04 assist to turnover ratio, 31 assist rate, 2.8 steal rate, 67.3 true shooting percentage. A lot, we saw a lot of that kind of translating with the the shooting carrying over to the NBA. Uh, you know, he's not a, he wasn't the lights out shooter that he was at UCLA, but 36 and a half percent on six and a half attempts from three. Um, and then we really saw the playmaking start taking that jump. Um, the year that he got hurt and now it just doesn't seem like he's going to be able to get healthy. 
Okay, so let me tie this into draft strategy because I know we're just focusing now too much on like the draft history, and that's probably my fault. So like archetypes. Talk to me, Metcalf. Like was Lonzo. When you have a player that you're questioning the shot. Were you questioning his shot? Um, not as much as everyone. Uh, I thought it was funky, but he was hitting it. Yeah, that, that's um, where I was. Where it's like it, it kind of looks gross, but it goes in a lot, and he shoots it a lot. So those are two good things. I'm people are gonna overreact when they hear this, but whatever. That's that's what we do in the summer. I don't give a shit if it looks weird. No, that's if my thing with shoot, Tyrese Halliburton. Yes, ty- thank you. Stole the words right out of my mouth. Tyrese Halliburton, everyone's like, well, he's got this weird catapult shot. And I was like, he's also an analytics darling, and he's putting up historical numbers, and he's very efficient. I will go to war for any prospect that is efficient. If you can do something at a high level that and you're efficient, I'm all in. I, I love you. But it's it's if you have the weird mechanics – a low percentage wild shot selection. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I'll look the other way in a hurry. Um, and I just watched Lonzo. I, my first game watching him, like I was dialed in, I watched him at home or at UCLA. I watched him take on Arizona and I was like, my goodness, this kid can play. Like, I was just Mm -hmm. like, this is fun. And he's just took over. And then, I think Alfred was the coach at the end, ran a play at the final seconds for his son to get the mm-hmm. game-winning shot. So that was really fun. Um, bear down. But I, what I'm trying to get at with you is, do you ever get to a point where you're like, oh, he has he's a stud in all these other areas, but the shot is scary that you're like, oh, I got to drop him on my board? Or are you just like, he does so many other things at a high level. I still want him. And even if the shot doesn't come around, he's still a stud playmaker. He's going to run the show. We put shooters around him. He's going to be fine no matter what. You know what I'm trying to get at? Like, yeah. And it, it's, is that a scary area for you personally? Now? Yes. Um, before it was like, oh, well, as long as he's an awesome defender, you know, a little too on brand for me. Um, but it's like, oh, he's an awesome defender. Ah, he'll figure out the offensive stuff. And now it's like, it's really hard to figure out the offensive stuff. And just being that awesome defender isn't good enough anymore it's it's much easier to make a roster to get minutes to make an impact by being an awesome offensive player and a mediocre defender so i i do think my mindset with a lot of those guys even though you know i'm in my heart uh you know the the defense first guys might you know win me over but i i continuously have to remind myself of what can he do on offense and if it's nothing then it's like eh shit okay well that down the rankings we go but it's got to be something it's kind of like what we talked about with chris dunn can you shoot no well then you better be able to play make like crazy can you play make like crazy no all right well then you you better be able to shoot like crazy so it's got to be something um so you know, when we look at Fultz and Ball, you know, 10 years from now, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people are like, oh, these guys busted from this draft. And they didn't. They got hurt. Um, I think they were yeah. on their they were on their way to be really good players. They got hurt. So when we as we kind of keep running through this and guys that didn't work, I I don't really fault them for anything. So Donovan Mitchell was a big surprise from this draft class. 
loved him coming out of Louisville, spent two years there, uh, 23 usage, 32.9% on four and a half attempts from three. Not an awesome percentage, but he was a willing shooter, which I think is always really, really encouraging. Um, mediocre playmaker with you know a 1.69 assist to turnover ratio, really low 16% assist rate, really good defender in college, 3.3 steal rate, two shooting percentage of 53.2. All of that improved besides the steal rate in, or in the pros, 36.5% on eight attempts from three, which is just really, really impressive. And then you just watch the tape and it's like, okay, this dude is taking some wild attempts. Um, the playmaking uh, volume improved because he turned into the Jazz's primary creator for a lot of those years. Um, and then the scoring efficiency, the true shooting percentage jumped to 56.5. My couple things I love Donovan Mitchell too. Um, not just saying that I was like, this is goes back to my Jamal Murray theory. It was the, this was the second. Yeah. This is the second year in a row. I was like, don't, I'm trying to be polite. Let's screw it. We're in the summer. I could swear. If you, if you're bothered by my swearing, don't listen to the show. Um, earmuffs. Yeah. Earmuffs. Um, I was like, don't fucking overthink it. Just take it. Like it, it was the same thing of like, is he a point guard or two? And I was like, he's a basketball player. He's going to figure it out. And I um, am a huge believer. One of my other favorite things when I'm scouting is the leap in one year. He was not a fret. He was not a one and done. He was a sophomore and the jump he had from one year, even if it's 25% from three to 35% from three, 10% is a humongous number. Yeah. Um, especially with he took 2.3 attempts as a freshman. He took 6.6 as a sophomore from yeah. three um, free throws, 75 to 80 um, field goal percentage. Obviously, it went from 44 to 40, but that's because double the minutes almost and double the field goal attempts. So I'm fine there. But like every other area, he went from 0.8 steals to 2.1. Just checking boxes of like. He's worked on his game. He's gotten more minutes. He's shown the development and he's still young. And I think when you're checking a ton of boxes and like, even if you shot 35%, I'm buying the shot when it comes to form and stuff. I think, I don't know how you feel Metcalf, but I don't think the idea of like, Oh, he's not an elite playmaker scares me that much. Um, as a college prospects. I think almost you can get to the next level and understand I need to, I can't just be the guy right away. Mm -hmm. So I got to trust my teammates. They're obviously the vets. Obviously it's different if you're a prospect and there's a clear desire that you're ignoring reads to chuck up shots. But I don't think I ever get worried about like, Oh, he's got to work on his playmaking. Um, unless it's like I said, unless you're a ball hawk, but if you're like, yeah, you just have to understand and take some time, but you have the rest of the areas figured out. I think I'm, I was just a big fan of Donald Mitchell. I was like, yeah, he could play. This is an easy one. Why are we going to overthink this because of his size or, or whatever? 100% agree. I, I was heartbroken when the Pistons took Luke Kennard the pick before. Um, yeah. All right, let, let's move on to 2018. And there were, 
the only name that really stood out to me on here was Colin Sexton. Um, mm-hmm. Luka Doncic, I think, is more of a point forward. Uh, Trey Young, pure point guard. Um, SGA was the other one I kind of debated, but I think he's always kind of been that point guard. Um, yeah, I think he's a point guard. I saw someone today on Twitter was like, what? he's a shooting guard, and I was like, watch your mouth. Um, I, don't, I don't think – maybe I, he might have started his Kentucky career as a shooting guard, but he quickly took that point guard role over. Um, that was that, another one that I even messed up. I was like, he could play. Who cares? Like, he, he yeah. can play in the backcourt, figure it out. But um, I think he's a point guard. And just yes. because they have Giddy on that team, yeah, they have two point guards that have the potential to be combo guards. Yeah, so so let's talk about Colin Sexton, who freak athlete um, in college, really good athlete in the NBA. Uh, only one year um, in college, usage rate of thirty three. Didn't really shoot it that well, but kind of similar to Donovan Mitchell in terms of percentages and volumes at thirty three and a half percent on four attempts. Um, but I, I think where the big kind of concern with him coming out of college for me, at least was that he wasn't this awesome shooter, but he also wasn't a great playmaker where his assist to turnover ratio was 1.29 assist rate of just under 28%. Neither of those are that really impressive for the guy who has the ball in his hand a third of the time he's on the floor. Um, and then by no means am I writing Colin Sexton off because I I think there have been improvements to his game and he's kind of been in a funky situation with the injury and the trade and the Darius Garland pick these last couple of years. But where I think his career really hasn't hit like some people were hoping it would is because that playmaking hasn't taken that kind of requisite leap for him to be that primary creator or, you know, point guard, quote unquote point guard, um, because his assist to turnover ratio and the pros has just been 1.33 assist rate is just 17.3. But on the flip side of that, he has kind of morphed into a little more of that shooting guard role where the outside jumper has become more efficient, where it's jumped to 38% on 3.7 attempts. Yeah, he's a weird one. Um, you, you have to wonder if he was in a draft four years ago, like we're saying, like if he's in the gym or, you know, if he's in the Jamal Murray draft where the league was still kind of like looking for natural point guards, does he go even earlier just because of the idea like him or Chris Dunn? Um, I probably would have leaned towards Jamal. Mur- I mean, uh, Colin Sexton, if it was like him or Chris mm-hmm. Dunn and as prospects, just because the Sexton would have had the age, blah, blah, blah. But I was a big fan of his. I that was a guy I got the late. I feel like I got the late steam of like I can't, I can't stop loving you, and I just kept like, oh, I, I'm intrigued. And then he played hard, and then he had the game where he went like five on three or whatever he played. Or no, didn't he? What was it? Was it? Yeah, it's against it's against Minnesota's. Yeah, so I, I loved him then, and then um, I just felt like that was gonna. That's the scary thing with guards and combo guards, especially is like. You draft a point guard thinking he'll unlock other areas and then it doesn't happen. So then you kind of got to figure out like, well, can you become a combo guard and stick around? And I think that's what you're saying. It's like now that outside thought has started to, to really develop. Yeah. And, you know, so far um, out of these guys that we've talked about, he's been the one where he's trended more towards that shooting guard role than 
where Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, DeJounte Murray kind of transitioned more towards that point guard first role because they saw improvements in their kind of on-ball creation, their pull-up game, their uh, playmaking. And Colin Sexton has improved as a shooter, and he has which which has been super important for him, and it's that compare or combined with his um, athleticism and ability to pressure the rim has been a big reason why he's still you know getting minutes and still playing. Um, not, I promise I'm not trying to write this guy off. That that's coming off worse than I mean it to. Um, but he's one of these rare guy rare combo guards where he has developed the shot and transitioned a little more into that shooting guard role. Um, all right, l- let's transition into 2019, um, where we had Jared Culver uh, go six overall. I, I think he qualifies for the kind of combo guard designation, just ho- given how much point guard. Um, Does he? Kind of primary. And I, I thought he ran a lot of that offense at Texas Tech. Yeah, do, do, I guess. I don't. I, I always thought he would be best as a, as being more of a point guard in the NBA. Um, I. No, I, I, I was drinking, you're crazy. No, I swear to God. I swear to God. I um, thought they just... Nah, I, I I loved him. I thought he needed to just be the, like, the point forward, like small forward. Yeah, I, I, I had like Sean Livingston-esque aspirations for him. Um, but the, the other name, Kobe White at seven, who went to Chicago, another guy I absolutely loved. Um, and then Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who went 17th. Um, we, we can just start with Culver real briefly, um, just because... Yeah, let's rapid fire these. Just because you, you, you obviously don't agree with this designation, which is fine. But um, two years well, at a, Texas Tech, a, yeah, go ahead. High, high usage rate, uh, mid-range was really good. Um, but awesome defender the outside shot never came along the fit and kind of environment in minnesota was not great for him um so a lot of things that went into it but what were kind of some of the things that stood out to you with culver pre-draft and then throughout his career someone hurts because i i really did like him i feel like that was the one guy like this could work but it's just another dangerous area where you're like the shot has to click for a player of his size and everything. I was just like, I thought, I thought whoever drafted him needed to give him free reign to like really figure it out. Um, just didn't work out. I, I never stopped believing still do still believe somehow. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and I, you I, want I to think go to Kobe he, White. I mean, that's it. It's, it hurt. Okay, it hurts no, a lot. I, I think Culver was one of those guys where he really needed to be empowered to do what he did well, and instead he was basically put in the corner and tried to use be used as a spot up shooter um, and a floor spacer. And it's like that was never his game, and was probably never going to be his game. So I, I think that was a, a case of uh, situation not playing out ideally and it was also a case of the timberwolves trading up to six um trying to get darius garland when he went the pick before so you know just really good front office stuff there um let's I love to I, I, quick thoughts it's funny how that draft ended up because i felt the best about the first five guys of like they're gonna yeah. figure it out yeah. at the next level and then when it got to that i felt like there was a drop after that and like you and tier wise if you want to put it that way i feel like that drop was you're starting to convince yourself 
talk yourself into the next guys where it was like Garland, Kobe White, Jackson Hayes, Rui. We were all talking ourselves into them. And then like Cam Reddish, like it's just funny how that draft turned out. So go ahead. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, Kobe White. Yeah, let's move into Kobe White. Obviously one and done at UNC. Uh, almost 27 usage rate. Kind of a, a high energy dynamic scorer inside, outside, really good athlete. Uh, I think the the big knock on him in college was not a whole lot of playmaking to his game. And that really carried over to the NBA as well. And I, I don't kind of unlike Mitchell and Murray and Booker, like we've talked about previously, I don't think Kobe White was ever really put in those situations to grow those aspects of his game and has really kind of been shoehorned into just being a shooting guard. And it may, you know, I, th there are probably a lot of reasons for that because the coaching staff didn't think he had that in his game or whatever. So I'm not trying to denigrate them. I'm just providing context. Um, but kind of similar to Garland, Kobe White is steadily finding his groove as more of that shooting guard role. Yeah, it was just kind of funny because that team, Cam Johnson was like their only shooting threat. Mm -hmm. um, they had Luke May, Nasir Little, you know, Leaky Black was a freshman, which seems <laughs> like, under, how did that work out? Um, so, like, it, it, I just remember watching those games and I was like, I think he will thrive with more shooting around him. Um, I liked where he went in the draft that year. I was like, yeah, that's fair. I really that's wanted him at six to Minnesota. Yeah. I, I, I thought they were going to. I, 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 I don't know. Another player where I, I maybe just goes different place. It works out different. You never really know. I don't know. But um, I still think he's turning in. The funny thing is we have high expectations for these guys at the top 10, but if they can figure out a way to carve a career out uh, that flirts with 10 years over, over five years, like that's a success. I mean, yes. and it sucks for a franchise that it's like, well, he hasn't turned into a star, but it's like, it's so hard to find stars. Like, especially when you get past the top three picks, if you find one, it's just like, whew. but, um, if you can got, find a guy that carves out a lengthy career that should be viewed as a success, not just like, Oh, he's a bust because he didn't become the next Derek Rose, you know? Yeah. And then the, the only other name in this year's draft that I, I think kind of qualifies for this combo guard designation is Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, I thought he was fascinating coming out of Virginia tech. I thought there's a lot of juice to his, to his offensive game and kind of on ball creation stuff, um, especially his playmaking. But that, there just hasn't been the requisite growth in his playmaking that afforded him on ball reps. And then his shooting tailed off compared to what it was in college, whereas 38.3% on four and a half attempts in college. And that's fallen to just under 34% on just under four attempts in the pros. Um, he, this last year, once he got traded to the Timberwolves, he did carve out this role as kind of this point of attack defensive specialist who could space the floor a little bit. And that's probably going to be what he is, throughout but he never kind of hit the ground running in the ways that you you would hope um for a, a mid first round pick yeah it he was a weird one because i feel like when new orleans took him i didn't feel like there was a clear path for him to play yeah for a while i was like you're gonna have to be really good 
to even like start getting minutes because I just felt like there was a log jam. So he's had a weird developmental path. And I don't know. And then he goes to Utah. I know maybe he goes to Minnesota and maybe like I know they just re-upped him. Maybe now this is like a, a guy that they get to the playoff series and they're like, oh, he's he's having a moment. And he's what? He's gonna be 25 this year. Like that's still young, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you never you can figure it out. So also another guy that goes, um, where did he go in the draft, Metcalf? Uh 17. So yeah, another guy that goes later, you top 20, even if you're in the teens, like figuring out a way to stick around. And, and I think, you know, it hasn't been what we've wanted from him. I thought he was potentially like, I really liked him at Virginia Tech. That was a guy that I watched and scouting him. The more I watched after the season, the more I was like, man, I'm really intrigued with NAW. I was just like, there's some stuff here. So um, I don't know. That's, that's, that's always a fascinating one too. It, you just never know. Obviously we're not in a front office, but we'll get to a point one day where we're talking to people and finding out the behind the scenes juice on a regular basis. But like maybe just new Orleans wasn't a good fit. You never really know. Maybe there's some stuff behind the scenes, but I still like him. I still think he would be a really fun piece to have as a roster addition. All right. Um, that kind of wraps up. The, the guys that I, th- I think we have a really good idea. Um, I think some of these too early to calls uh, starting in 2020, obviously some of these names, we have a better sense of who or what type of player they are um, and what they're going to be than others. But I, I, I you know, I, I have that three-year cutoff. Um, so 2020 Cole Anthony, Tyrese Maxey, RJ Hampton, Emmanuel quickly, 2021 Jalen Suggs, Quentin Grimes, 2022 Johnny Davis, Jalen Terry, Blake Wesley, and then this last draft, 2023, uh, Kobe Bufkin, Keontae George, Brandon Pajemski, I guess, uh, Marcus Sasser, I think, uh, a bit, mm-hmm. Nick Smith Jr., sort of. Um, so with with all these guys, you know, I, I think the overarching theme of, you know, the, the five drafts that we ran through or the three or four drafts that we ran through was the ones who have figured it out. Obviously, there are some who took you know, superstar leaps. And there are others who kind of carved out roles as these role players. And I, I, I think the the lesson to take away from that is you, you have to be able to have either a really, really well-rounded offensive game or be an absolute specialist at one thing, whether it's defense like Chris Dunn, where, yeah, he's not warranting what most top five picks would hope to be be but he's gonna have a solid career that's you know five to ten years as a role player and being on the end of benches with uh donovan mitchell and jamal murray their scoring game continued to diversify continue to grow continue to improve in difficulty but so did their playmaking and there were different opportunities afforded to all these guys like situation and playtime and teammates and all that stuff and that's always going to be a factor but there are always going to be individual skills that these guys have to develop and now those skills have to be on offense for guards. And if you can't develop your playmaking to a really high level, or you can't develop your shooting to a really high level, or you can't develop both to an above average level, it's going to be really, really hard for these guys um, in these recent, recent drafts and the ones going forward to get minutes. I agree. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to look back at this for, for everyone that's, with this on this episode like 
you you start to see different stuff. Like I'm, I'm looking at Keontae George after we just went through this whole draft history. And it's just making a point of like what kind of Metcalf says. It's like, we thought Keontae was like, oh, he could shoot. He just didn't do it at a high level. But his playmaking was awesome. And I was like, okay, that makes sense if you have two high-level skills. Because every single NBA team is scouting these guys, and they're like, what is their NBA skill? Mm-hmm. And if you potentially have two, then, yeah, they're going to think that you're going to be able to figure it out. And some guys in the past that we just ran through, you know, they didn't find that one skill that they thought could unlock, didn't. And it's like, well, what else can you do? And I think that's always a great lesson in scouting, too, is like, hey, this guy's a great shooter. What if he can't shoot that night? Mm-hmm. You know, what if he what if he's frozen cold? What else is he doing on the court to impact the game? I think that's one of my favorite things when I'm scouting a guy is like I take away his best skill. Like, what else is he doing? I, and that's also why I've said to people before, like, I love to watch their terrible games. I love to watch the off nights. Off nights, my favorite thing. Because you find out a lot about a player. If they're three for 15 from the field, did they still impact the game any other ways? If they did, and I feel like, hey, he had a great game. And I look at the box score and I went, he, three, he went three for 15? There you got something. If you can come away from a game and be like, he made an impact, he was all over the place. And then you look at the box score and you're like, hey, that doesn't match. Then it's like, well, that might be something special. Because he took over without being efficient. And then he goes and has the next game and he's 80% from the field. Then you're like, oh gosh, I found something. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's really cool to always, I love the summer episodes when we do this and we just need to make this a regular thing, Metcalf, because it's so cool to look back and you learn something from history that helps you with the future. All right. Well, and let's do just that and try yeah. and look at some, a, a couple of these, the, the top names at the combo guard position in the 2024 draft. Um, you know, there are a ton of guys that we would, we could look at. There are a bunch of returners we could look at. Um, but you know, we, we want to start diving into some of these freshmen that we haven't necessarily talked about. Um, so the, the first two names that popped up to me when we think about combo guards are DJ Wagner and Jared McCain. Um, let's start with DJ Wagner. Where do you Mm -hmm. want to start? Um, I think some people are going to, there's going to be some names on this list we might mention quickly and move on because we're going to do our normal, you know, Corey and Albert shout out to them for the draft act. They've been doing some, some preview episodes now of single prospects. They've been doing like three to pop me and you are going to get back on doing that. We're just trying to kind of wait a little bit, you know, wait till the floodgates are officially open, but DJ Wagner. Um, I think people are going to be like, he's a point guard. And I don't think he's going to be a point. I think he's going to have to be a combo guard to have success at the next level. I'm really interested to see what DJ does at Kentucky this year. I'm probably going to be lower on him than most people. There's some people that are very passionate about him. I understand it. Um, I have more questions than same. A, a lot more questions than I, I I went to Portland to watch him because of the questions I had. Obviously I wanted to see everybody else and then see, you know, you guys and have a good time with you guys. But um, not not a lot of those questions were answered in a positive way. So it's going to be interesting. He's going to the right school to figure things out. And 
really talented. I think when if you're smothering him, he can do stuff to get you away. But I think if you're a defender and he gets you to bite, you could catch up to him fast. And I know some people are going to, what are you talking? I just see there's times when you're a ball handler where if you get a, 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 a guy to bite on your first move, you should be able to put him in the dust. You should be able to get clear separation and get away. And I think there's times where DJ does that and attacks and guys close lanes to recover very mm-hmm. fast. And I'm like, whoa, so are we missing that fifth and sixth gear to just blow by? And I, I think things are difficult. I Am I crazy, Metcalf? I just think every shot's tough sometimes. Like every t- Some shots look great. It's like a layup coming off the left, and he's shooting a, a lefty layup off the top of the backboard. And I'm like, that was tough. That didn't look easy. I mean, some people think that looks easy. That was a tough layup. So I don't know. Tell me I'm crazy. Yeah. All right. So j- just low context, DJ Wagner, ESPN's fourth rated overall recruit listed at 6'2", 175. They have him as a point guard. I think he's more of a shooting combo guard. Um, you're trying so hard to be nice. Um, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> painful. I'm trying so um, hard. I'm trying so No. Okay. So hard. I don't has, see it. No, there it is. Why. I don't see it. And I thank you spent more time on him than any player because I haven't seen it forever and i've talked to the whole no ceilings crew i said someone tell me what am i not seeing i have not seen it there's my rant i'm sorry screw you metcalf you got the evilness out of it and i'm i'm rooting to be wrong but i don't see it and it's nothing against dj it's nothing i don't see a top three pick that's where i'm trying to say if i got dj wagner at 10 that'd probably be a fun little gamble especially in this class i don't see a top three pick right now Okay, l- let's talk about the good with him because the, the, there, there's some fun stuff. Yes, uh, the the on ball creation, some of it, like his ball handling, his shot creation, his ability to get to the rim in really different ways is really, 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 really impressive for a guy his size and his age. And then when he's cooking and that you know the interior stuff is falling, he looks fucking incredible. Oh, yes. Like if you go on synergy and pull up some of his games where he has 20 plus points, you're going to see him making just absolutely ridiculous shots that you're like, this dude is the best guard to come out of high school in the last five years. Um, But it's super inefficient. And like you said, everything is tough with him. And that, that first step I think is really good but his ability to maintain that advantage isn't impressive. I I think he really struggles putting guys in jail and keeping them on his hip. I think he gets really sped up when he attacks the rim. He doesn't have a ton of patience. He's got really good craft with his footwork and balance and kind of going side to side and Euro steps and absorbing contact and finishing with reverses. Um, You know, at, at Camden in high school, he shot 64% at the rim. That, that's a really good number um, because he does have a lot of craft and some really interesting shot creation stuff in, in the paint and at the rim, but it's really easy for guys to kind of get back rim side of him or really make those shots difficult because he rushes his approach. Is that something that can be ironed out and improved on with experience, coaching reps, all that stuff? Probably um, my bigger concern with him is, 
I don't, I think the shot, the outside jumper is way off. Um, I, I think that is so far from being an actual tool. Uh, 21% from three, 25% shooting off the catch, 18% pulling up. That's not good. And, you know, a lot of that is shot selection, but a lot of it is that he's just not a good shooter right now. The, it's the in-between game that that drives me a little crazy. And the, the, the shot inconsistency is also in the back of my head the whole time I'm watching this. It's a guy that he he can get, like you said, he struggles to put people in jail. I love how you phrased that. Because I said to you guys in Portland, I said, he's really good at getting you to bite. And then I think he has no idea what to do next. It, Where he, it's like he sees a sliver of space and he's like now what? A, a puppy dog like, chasing like a rabbit or something. And it's like, oh my God, let's go. If he figures that out, oh gosh, he would be awesome. Yes. It's, it's, you know what it is? It's like, I comparing Chris Paul's so good at this mm-hmm. because he gets you on his hip and then he just toys with you until you bite and make that little decision and then he's like all right mid-range pull up like he knows where he wants to go once he has you in jail that's the thing with dj that i think calipari is going to hammer with him in the film room and he can fight he can figure it out he's like you want to be a great guard you have to figure this part of your game out and there's a world in which that can happen this year but i also like i'm not overly impressed with his finishing with just the the athleticism i think yeah and I'm not trying to dog him. I'm just saying there's a lot of questions with his game that could easily get answered this year at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I will be so pumped about it. Um, it's just the shot needs to be more consistent. He's got to figure out that in-between game. Because like when he's on the perimeter, he looks confident. When it's coming to like the step back, side steps. Yeah, but it doesn't go in. But it doesn't go in all the time. So there has to be a level of efficiency unlocking. And I just, from seeing him in person, it, all week I practiced. This wasn't one day. This is all week. I was hammering on watching DJ and the big guys because I was like, who's going to be number one? I was like, who's going to look at – I wanted to figure out who was the guy in the gym. Like, who was the guy that just clearly looked like an alpha? And in practices, I thought there was a lot of different guys, but none of them were DJ. Um, scrimmages, he looked better. So it, it's going to be fascinating to see. So let's stay on the offensive end. And when when we talked about these guys in past drafts where they really had to improve as a scorer, shooter, or playmaker, I have real, real big concerns about DJ's playmaking or lack thereof. Um, You know, the the games that I watch where he does rack up a couple assists, it's everything's like in the first quarter or the first half. And he's doing it early, but it doesn't sustain. And he gets a ton of tunnel vision. He misses those, those opposite corner kickouts a lot. He doesn't really run a two man game. If he has the ball, he's looking to score. And, you know, for, for a lot of guys that that's fine, but not with his efficiency. And when you look at his playmaking at his size, are you thinking it's like, okay, this is going to be a guy who's going to have to be that shooting guard role or because there isn't that playmaking for him to be that point guard. Or have you seen flashes where it's like, okay, there's more here to build on if he really focuses on it. it, it it's just going to have to be buying in. Um, I think the tunnel vision's real. 
I, I think you even see it. It's like he looked better at the global jam games, but I still saw times where it's just like predetermined off of the dribble of like what he's going to go try to do. And I think that's where you have to be like, you have to learn this other part of the game where it's like adjust to what's happening on the defense side of the ball. You can't be coming off a screen and being like, I'm going to go finish this with my left hand all the time. You have to adjust because if a guy comes over and slides over, you might have to finish with it up under on the right side. Like, especially a point guard, things are going to get fast. So you cannot predetermine stuff. But um, he, he needs to buy – if you're not going to be a 45% like three-point shooter or like the this lethal sniper from outside, you need to be able to be a facilitator and make things easy for your teammates. And I just think there's a lot of areas that aren't – mixing well together with questions and that's where i'm at and i'm i promise i'm not rooting against dj wagon no no i i'm just i don't have him top five and i am very far from having him in my top five like my board's coming together and i was like no 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 he's not gonna be in my top five like and i i'm not rooting for him he's gonna be in my lottery maybe but i just have questions um, yeah, and I, you know, when, play with poise. Go ahead. No, just when, when we look at improvement areas and how he can improve his game and, you know, really emerge as one of these top five guys, I think that playmaking one is the big thing because he always looks sped up on offense. Um, where he's pre, he's like you said, he's predetermined what he wants to do. He's really good at collapsing the defense, he's really good at getting into the paint and getting to the rim, but he doesn't recognize or consistently enough recognize what those help defenders are doing and where they're coming from and the, you know, the teammates of his that they're leaving and the spaces that they're vacating because there are opportunities for the rest of the team to finish there that are way higher efficiency than him trying to finish some through contact off balance, offhand flip shot over four defenders. Um, Let's talk about the defense real quick. I actually really liked what I saw from him as an on-ball defender. Um, I thought he competes his ass off. I really like his footwork. He gets down low in a stance, uh, moves his feet. I, I, I actually really liked him as a non-ball defender. Really liked might be strong. I, I was pleasantly surprised and liked his on-ball defense for the most part. The off-ball stuff was pretty brutal. Yeah, on-ball, there's, there's some stuff I'll buy into. Um, off-ball, I'm right there with you, so... I don't want to keep ripping on DJ. So who else do you want to talk about? Let's uh, we're making it lengthy now. Yeah, See, now fine. I'm fired up because we're actually talking about 24 and I, I have a lot of thoughts about 24. Yeah. So, well, a, 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 as you just cut the conversation short, so it's fine. No, uh, I just saying I don't want to keep ripping on DJ. Like, <laughs> no, no, I, I think we, we qualified it with, you know, if he does improve in a couple of these areas, oh, he's going to awesome. look like a monster at Kentucky where there's going to be a really dynamic scoring and playmaking arsenal and you know repertoire to his game that i think he can unlock it's just is he going to put in the work and the you know the study time to do it and And it's going to be a lot of work but it's going to be a really good environment for him to do that and if he does it god it's going to pay dividends the problem is if is the scariest word we could say it is and he's also pile up we're like well not all those ifs are going to turn to yeses so I don't know. I just have questions. Okay, let, let's talk about the other uh, guy 
um, who I who I think really stood out when we think about this term combo guard. Uh, Jared McCain headed to Oof. Duke, ESPN's tenth overall recruit, listed at six three one ninety five. What are your Jared McCain thoughts? Love him. Preseason lottery for me. I'm shocked. Uh, I'm shocked there's not more boards consensus. We love we love the consensus. I'm shocked I haven't seen more with McCain higher. I feel like he's not getting enough buzz. I think he's got size. I think he plays like a eight-year vet. I think he's under control. He's got poise. I'm buying the versatility. Like this whole exercise we just did about draft history, McCain has the versatility and and the size that I think he's going to be very, very intriguing. So I I love him. I I really think watching those and I'm not trying for everyone listening. It's not like we're like, oh, the hoop summit week was the most important thing ever. It's just the last time we saw him in person. Yeah. And we're going to have different evaluations. We're going off of what we saw. Now I've spent a ton of time watching high school film in the off season, which everyone knows how I feel about that. But I've made a very serious effort this year to get ser- like crazy about it. McCain just can play. That would be another guy that I'd be like, can he play? Yep. All right. We'll figure it out. Like he can play. That is an, an NBA level guy. And I don't know if you're in the same world with me as, as that, but what do you think? I'm having a lot of mixed feelings with him right now. Oh, um, this is what the fans turn into Metcalf. Good here. Vent so, to me. Talk to me. You know, if, if listeners go back to our hoop summit episode that we did and the piece that I wrote, I loved McCain coming out of that week. I thought he looked incredible. I thought he was arguably the best passer there. Um, I, you know, I thought the shot looked really good. Then I kind of started going back and watching some of this high school stuff. And I'm, I, I, I'm a little less enthused. Um, wow. I love this. Okay. Um, why? Welcome to therapy. I want to buy the shot so bad. You're not buying it when he misses, he misses so bad. Yeah, but so did I. Like, well, yeah, and look at where you are. You're stuck here with me. <laughs> I'm on the no ceilings team. Are you kidding me? I hit gold. Um, like, and I, I, just, I, I want. No. I, I think a lot of it could be, you know, a youth strength issue type thing where he's just not yes. strong enough to to get up that many attempts from that range that often, all that kind of stuff. Because I, I think the mechanics look really good, but. Sometimes I mean, he'll miss off the left side. He'll miss off the right side. He'll miss long. He'll miss way short. He'll barely hit the rim on some, but then it goes in. It's like, Oh fuck. That was pretty. Um, and then you look at the percentages and they're promising. I mean, 36% from three overall, uh, 47% on pull up twos, 47% from three or 40% overall, I believe. Um, shooting off the catch compared to 28% pulling up. So it might be more of a pull-up mechanic um, and strength issue thing. So I, I just have more questions after going back and reviewing, you know, some of the high school film, um, really good playmaker, love the passing. I think he could be one of these guys where he kind of transitions a little more into that point guard role out of this combo guard um, designation. And instead of the pure shooting guard role, um, but I, I I cannot wait to see him at Duke. I my hot take is I think over worrying about high school shooting is something we all need to calm down about. Now it, it, there's a level of it where I agree with it. Like 
if, if you're buying the form in high school, I think that's more important than like Lou Zealous. I think it was like mid forties from three in high school. And it's like, okay, I'm not ready to say he's JJ Reddick from downtown just because he had a good senior year from outside. I'm buying like, and I'm not trying to slander Buzelis there, but like I'm buying McCain from what I saw in person. I'm buying, I think just because in high school you might have erratic shots doesn't tell the whole story. If you're buying the form. Yeah. And and like what we saw in person, um, they look good to me. Um, I've watched some of those scrimmages they've had obviously preseason i'm trying to find any content i can when it comes to this because i'm just dying for new games college hoops to be back 88 days who's counting um and everything looks good i think he's just going to be this composed player that just knows how to play multiple levels and the shot eventually is going to come along with all of that and then you're going to have this multi-level scoring guard that plays at his speed not the defense's speed, you know, it doesn't get sped up. So I'm just buying it. Uh, so am I, for what it's worth. I'm just, a- after going through the high school stuff, there there were just a couple questions more that came up than what I previously had. And, you know, I, I think that's pretty natural when you get more of a sample size. Um, but I, when, when you talk about scoring at every level, I, I am a little pretty concerned about the at-rim stuff. Um, 43% at the rim. High school, not great. Let me do this because now I have to go back and watch it all again so that I, he, I can yell at you over text. It's I, so he just, annoying he's not, when you do this. He's not super explosive and kind of struggles to finish through contact. Um, but Were again, you good through contact in high school? No, again, that's why I'm here with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, they're high school, they're teenagers. I'm just starting – Right, but that, you know, that they're not I, Anthony Edwards in high school that are built like a brick shit house and then reclassifying because they're built like a brick shit house as a fifteen year old. <laughs> no, I know, but then you know we were just ragging on DJ Wagner it. for his I inefficiency, okay, and he was sixty four percent at the rim. Okay, okay it's a twenty one percent difference. Okay, it, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. So um, again, I, I I'm hoping it's a strength thing, kind you know, kind of like I mentioned with the outside shot, but and n- none of these are like glaring red flags or i'm writing jared mccain off stop reacting like that um it's just so you hate jared mccain who who did we used to do that with for you (laughs) who was that oh we gotta bring that back no we don't we really who was it really don't i i don't even was it i know you you uh you harassed me you bullied me on trace jackson davis for three years no i'm not gonna do that but we had a running joke in the uh we're like metcalf just hates Blah blah blah. It wasn't Johnny Davis. It was uh gosh, I, I'll have to I'll have to ask the group about that I don't, after I don't this. Remember. But, but it was a good joke. So you just hate Jared McCain. There you go. We found out the, no, the new version of it. No, I have Jared McCain in my top ten right now. Um, good. I, I I think he's an awesome passer. I like the defense. There's a lot to like. I just want to see a couple things, you know, really take that jump this year. That that's fair. I, I understand that. That's fair. Um what else? Anything That's else? That's all I got. Okay. That was a good one. I'm getting pumped for the 24 class, folks. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud for everyone listening here. It's going to be a fun year for No Ceilings. I'm I'm very excited about some of the projects, some of the stuff we're going to announce. Got a couple of meeting, team meetings we need to have first before we let the beast out of the cage, and I'm sure those are not going to be short, but I miss the crew, so we got to 
start getting back into it. Yep. And that'll be happening, happening, uh, probably starting next week with, you know, just our, our stuff with the pod, um, where we're going to start breaking down 2024 guys a little more consistently here, uh, going forward. So, um, if there are any names the listeners are dying for us to do that with, um, you know, hit us up, let us know, uh, shout out to Corey and Albert, um, who have last couple of weeks been doing that um, and, and knocking off some really big names and having some really good episodes. So m- please make sure to go check those out. Uh, you can follow us across all socials at no ceilings NBA. He is Tyler Rucker at Tyler underscore Rucker. I'm Tyler Metcalf at team Metcalf one, one can find all of our written work as well at no ceilings NBA.com. Maxwell has his no stone unturned series still going. Make sure to go check those out. Yes. And in the coming weeks, our written stuff will start becoming a little more regular as we get closer to kickoff here um in yeah. the, the next couple months so if you enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe leave a review and if i start writing until next time see ya